All right, welcome everybody to this uh, episode of Breaking Absolutes. I'm Peter O'Rulian. Um, as a reminder, uh, when I was approached to do this show for Amazon and for Twitch, I kind of told them I'd do it, <clears throat> but I wanted to be able to do it as something different. Um, I'm not a radio personality. I'm not a journalist. I, I wanted to have conversations with um, artists that I think are doing unique work, important work that deserves a broader audience. And so my efforts here to dimensionalize these people um, so that they, they garner more following and more people hear their music and understand, I think, the ways they're pushing the, the, the genre forward uh, and enrich the genre <coughs> because of their participation in it. And so that's why I call it Breaking Absolutes, trying to break down some of the, the stereotypes and the things that confine the music in these particular artists. And so today I get to uh, talk to Jeff Scott Soto. Um, a lot of you, I'm sure, will be familiar with him, but maybe less familiar with um, the depth of his work um, and the, the, the long history he has. And so we're and we can't possibly, by the way, cover it all. We're going to cover as much of it as we can. Um, but before we do that, let me just set this up a little bit uh, so we all understand who we're talking to here. Um, Jeff's got just a, a huge number of solo records um, uh, as well. As, and there's a distinction between that and his Soto work, which we'll, we'll talk to him about. But he's also been very active in live recordings. Um, he was he fronted the band Talisman, which many of you will remember with fondness. Bass player in my own group um, was just fawning over this last night when we were having dinner, because uh, she's from Sweden, so she remembers uh, Talisman. Um, he was on the first two Ingve records, which we'll touch on. He sang for a time with Journey. He sings with TSO and has been doing that for I think roughly twelve years. Um, he's a vo the vocalist in the the group WET. Um, which is one I was lesser familiar with, but the music is so good. We want to talk about that. Um, and, and folks recently will know him from Sons of Apollo, um, and we're going to talk about that. There is uh, an enormous list of um, groups that you would know, a name recognition um, as you hear them, that he has uh, collaborated on or participated in backing vocals. And we won't name them all, but just a few sparklers there. He's recorded with um, Takara, Lita Forge, Steel Heart, um, House of Lords, Striper, Saigon Kick. Um, he was on the uh, Rockstar group with Zach Wild and Jeff Filson and Jason Bonham. Um, the, the, the point in me articulating these is for you to start to see the sort of association with sort of luminaries in the industry that call on Jeff for his vocal talent, whether it's to front the band or to participate in a project. Um, and for me, that's always a, a, a hallmark of... of uh, a great vocalist because they're the ones that are getting these kinds of calls and we can't cover them all but we'll talk about some of them um there are you know he he's been on a couple of the tso records and those records have had chart positions and of course the music is great and there's a lot of talent there but it's another place where i think we we need to acknowledge the fact that jeff got the call to be a part of those those recordings by virtue of his vocal gift so um i'll point pointers so you can go and look at, at some of this work but he's he's participated in records that have hit um, you know all kinds of chart positions, and I think and we're going to even see on his wall um, some nods to that. Um, I could go on, but I better not. I better bring him on so we can just have the conversation. Um, Jeff, welcome. There you are. Hey, what's happening? How you doing, dude? What an my God! I, you, <laughs> with an intro like that, you'd think I'd be uh, living in some kind of uh, secluded <laughs> house on a, on a hill somewhere and. I wouldn't even have internet to be able to do something like this. Yeah, it's it, it's a charmed life of uh, being able to do what I've always dreamed of doing as an artist, as a singer, 
as a writer, producer, all of the above, but uh, it truly is, uh, it still is a work in progress. It's, it's, it's like you were announcing all these different things that I've done in my life and my career. There's still a whole world of people who have no idea who I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. If, if you're a musician uh, in rock or metal, you, we know you 100%. And there's a lot of fans that know you. And, and some, some of them know you in isolation. They know you because you're with TSO, and they love when you come yeah. out and sing there. Or they, love, they, they know Sons of Apollo more recently. Um, but you, you've been on the scene a long time. And I, I um, like, like a, a bandmate or a, a collab. Well, you, I guess bandmate. You, you've worked with Joel Hoekstra many times. And we had him on the show. And I, I described him as a journeyman. And I mean that with affection because it's a, you have a work ethic. That, that I you can kind of um, start to see in just some of my preamble that you just you you, you continue to work and so as much as there's stuff before like you you have so much ahead of you um, uh, and you continue to work and do new things and that's the reason I wanted to have you on the show is uh, I love the stuff from yesterday but you're not a you're you were part of yesterday but you're t part of tomorrow um, and so, yes, uh, uh, you are, I'm hoping we're going to introduce a lot more people to you and your voice as a consequence oh, thank of the you. conversation. Well, part, part of what you're, you're uh, kind of setting up there is it's difficult for me to say no. That's, that's <laughs> probably a good 80% of what I'm doing and what I've done. Um, even I, I was just discussing earlier with a friend, my upcoming schedule, it, it truly is insane based on the fact that I'm in the middle of moving but I also am working on my next solo al album that has to be done and delivered by the middle of October. Oh. Now we're at the middle of August almost. So I literally have two months left and we just started writing the stuff last week. So we're, 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 well, the music's there, but I still got to write my melodies and lyrics. And I literally was one of the reasons I'm even late today is because I was in the middle of writing something I got to sing later on today while I go back in the garage and pack some boxes and drop it off at the new house. <laughs> So between that, I, I literally moving into the new place. Two days later, I'm on a plane to uh, Bulgaria. I've got a show there. I've got a show in the, in Ukraine. I've got a show in Kosovo. I come back. I'm here. I got to knock out some more vocals in the studio, my new studio as it's set up while I'm away. And then I got to leave the week after for another show, back for more singing, back out of the room. I'm back, I'm back and forth pretty much until I leave for TSO in November. Yeah. So everything's just piled up so crazily that I'm, it, it's even difficult, even when I write it down and I've got a chart in front of me, you're doing this today. It's impossible to keep track of everything. Well, I was, I was, I was about to ask you like how, what you've been doing during COVID, but it sounds like your schedule has not changed a ton. You've been, had to continue to be busy. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I took on way more sessions than I ever have in my life. And, the, and part of that is, I have a living to keep, you know, I have enough, enough keep, I have a house to pay, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, for the most part, the music was my therapy. The music was my kind of forgetting what was going on in the world, forgetting the fact that I can't leave the house, that I can't perform, that I can't uh, do what we normally have been doing all our lives. Yeah. So I found, uh, I found the outlet of just recording and creating. And my God, I've, I've, there's probably about seven or eight albums, not even the ones that I, did for release of worth of material that I've done in the past year. Not, not that I'm doing it for the sake of trying to capitalize on it. It's, it really has just turned into accepting sessions and doing things I normally wouldn't even have time for, but because I had the time, I was able to say yes to a lot more people and do a lot more collaborations.
Yeah, I, I mean, it was a question I was going to ask, which is how do you manage it? Because as busy as you've been in COVID, your career sex, uh, suggests, as we look back, and we'll, we'll get into it here in a second, your career s- suggests that you you have this kind of ongoing schedule because a lot of these these uh, meaningful projects that you've been in overlap. It's not like it's all linear. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're bound, it seems like you bounce around a lot because you have a lot of different professional associations that are, that are, that are ongoing. I am lucky that way. And I'm, I'm humbled by the fact that I'm, it's what, 37 years of doing this for a living that I'm, I'm able to continue doing it. There's still an audience that wants to hear me do it. And it, it just, it truly is, it's a testament to hard work. It's a testament to uh, the validation that I've been able to receive the past almost four decades out there. Uh, but in the end, it's it's what I love, and, and I'm just so humbled by the fact that I get to continue doing this for a living. There, there's so many times, especially in the very beginning, when an artist is trying to find their legs, trying to find their way in this business, they say, it's, it's too much. It's too much competition. There's, uh, I'm just a, a small fish in a big sea. And I never took that as a, a way out. I never took that as a, a kind of a breakdown of giving up. Yeah. To me, I looked at it as a, a reason to continue going. I, I always reach for that brass ring. And although I may never get it, I may, may never achieve it, at least I have the, I guess, the, the body of work that, con- that gives me and allows me to continue doing what I'm doing. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, the, the benchmark of success as a musician is being able to continue doing it as a profession. I mean, there is, yeah. of course, the, the glamour and the, the romantic Absolutely. notion of the people who make, you know, gazillions of dollars. And there's no doubt there's bands and artists at that level. But there sure. are a vast, there's a sea of musicians who have to continue to work other kinds of jobs to support the music they do. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, you're a banner success as a musician. Well, I, I thank you. Uh, my my bench. I have different benchmarks that go far beyond the financial rewards or the yeah. popularity. And I mean, everything from uh, validation from my peers, everything from validation from my uh, my heroes, my musical heroes that I used to love or had on my wall, and now are my considered my friends. You know, it, it, all of the above. All even when somebody says your your music has helped me through some difficult times, yeah. that to me is benchmark of success and being accepted more so than how much money did I make off that last album or tour. And, and again, music is a therapy for me and for a lot of people. It's something we all need. It's something we all desire and want. It's not, it's, it's not something anybody in any walk of life pushes away from their lives. Everybody has music in their lives in some way, shape or form. And, and, and for me, it's, it's served as a career and it's served as being able to su- support my family, but it's also served as something that kind of keeps me ticking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've heard that from other musicians. It, um, I usually hear that from people for whom music is a lot, li- it's a lifestyle. It's not, sure. a ho- it's not a hobby. Um, yeah. I would have given it up a long time ago for just a hobby. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> So I, I read that when you were a kid, uh, you also, and I wanted to see if you continue to do this, you you did play some instruments like trumpet and, and, and keys. Is that still something you yeah. do at all, or is you just don't have time for that anymore? Trumpet, no. Keys, yes. Uh, keys, is, obviously, keys are more instrumental on writing songs, especially pop or rock songs. Trumpet, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did trumpet because I was... 
the, the music I listened to, especially when I was younger, I, I wasn't into rock at all. I, I didn't get into rock. One of the reasons I probably stopped playing trumpet is because that's when I finally got into rock. But before that, I was into pop and bands and, and things that had horn sections. I, I loved, uh, my brother was, my older brother was always a drummer and percussionist in the school bands. And I wanted to do what he was doing. I wanted to be a part of what he was doing. So, okay, what do I want to play? Uh, saxophone looks way too complicated. I'm not a big horn instrument guy, like a tuba or a trombone or anything like that. So I ended up playing the trumpet and I, I it was a blast, first of all, learning how to play trumpet. And I loved doing it and I, I excelled faster than anybody expected. But the main thing I got out of playing trumpet, it's kind of the same thing uh, most people who know Ronnie James Dio, he was a trumpet player. You learn breath and wind control from playing the trumpet that is actually very useful later as a singer. Yeah. And that's probably one of the best things I took away from playing the trumpet. That's really, that's a great segue too, because um, obviously what you're most known for uh, it, it, by a long shot is your voice. And there you have a, there's a, a quality to your voice that's really unique. Even in this strata of rock vocalists who use that grit and have the range, there's a, um, a certain soulfulness, a certain fullness in, in, your, in your notes, even when you're in a higher register, that, that can't be said of many of your peers. And I wanted to ask, is that a, a consequence of any sort of vocal training, or is that like a blessing, like a, a biological blessing that you have? It's all influence and inspiration, man. It, it really comes down to it, it, every singer, every singer on the planet is basically just giving out, they're just singing and putting out what they were influenced by. I was influenced, as I said earlier, by mostly R&B and soul music, pretty much the first uh, 15, 16 years of my life. When I finally got into rock, it wasn't, it, the, I hated rock, I, I couldn't stand, uh, and I'll, I'll say this now because I can, I can also reverse it. I can say the opposite of it. I hated bands like Van Halen and Ted Nugent and Cheap Trick and Kiss. I couldn't stand that because I, I was, I came from such a soulful R&B uh, background. Now that being said, it, when a band like Toto came along, that you could hear those hard rock crunchy guitars, but that singer Bobby Kimball had such a white soul influence. You could tell Steve Perry had that same Motown influence. You could tell Lou Graham came from that same world. All the singers that were now putting me into, kind of drawing me into rock that I loved, uh, they, they just had that R&B influence, that swagger that was now mixed in with the rock. You, you could say the same thing about Mick Jagger. You could say the same thing about Robert Plant. But to me, I didn't hear that from those singers. So those singers and those bands were not in my wheelhouse whatsoever. But once I started delving into rock, then I started opening my mind and started realizing why and what the bands like Kiss and Ted Nugent and Cheap Trick and all the bands that I pushed away for so long, what they had to offer. And then I finally opened my eyes and opened my ears and I everything expanded from that point onward. So as I was an R&B soul bass that went into a kind of more of a soulful rock bass, I ended up even following it heavier to the, you know, the Saxons and the Judas Priests and the Iron Maidens of the world. And that's when I finally started accepting all facets of music because I realized that it's all going to be influential. It's at some point of my life, I'm going to need to refer to all of it. And as I'm pointing at these uh, gold records and still, you know, platinum records on the wall, yeah. TSO, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, is a testament to all these different styles that rounded up exactly where I'm at in my life. Yeah. The fact that I was able to draw from that soulful past 
that went into that rock uh, you know, middle part of my life. And then it all came together in one big melting pot of uh, influence. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really fascinating to hear you talk about that because um, there, there's, there, is a, there is this uniqueness in your voice, uh, this sort of soulfulness. And to hear some of the influence and, and how you then are, are sort of naturally and organically applying that to, to yeah. your vocals. And there's some examples that I want to point to later. But um, part of it, part of it is I wanted to take the opportunity to compliment you on it because it's, um, it's, a, it's a treat to get to hear you sing because of this, this quality in your voice. And um, I mean, it, you could same could be said about a lot of singers. Everybody's it sure. different, but you you bring a soulfulness there that um, some songs, frankly, do better because of it. You know, they 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 somehow land better or or differently at least because there's this underpinning in your voice. So um, with that as a setup, let's talk a little bit about the actual music. So you have, um, gosh, by my count, you must have ten uh, solo records, five, and this is under. Uh, as described by solo um five yeah. at least five live records and then you have four records under soto and i was interested to, to know like how do you how should we think about the distinction between those i mean because you're really kind of the the linchpin in in both but is there a sonic difference is there a writing approach difference the solo albums well to correct you on that i've got seven out i believe okay i've got number eight coming out but i'm not going to really I'll, I'll call solo albums all original material i, I won't okay. include the live albums or even this upcoming record that's uh coming out in october it's called the duets collection yeah. because all that is is uh it's it's redone versions of songs that i've already released with other bands and other walks of my career but doing them with other singers so i can't really call that a solo album as much as I can. It's more of a like a, a side treat. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a snack. Um, but I'm working on my eighth solo album, which is all original material. And my solo albums are a culmination of my career, uh, mainly on the hard rock field, the, the hard rock and melodic rock, AOR, whatever you want to call it, field of music. Um, when I started my career with Ingvay Malmsteen, that was more considered the heavy metal side of things. It was the, the heavier side of my career, as well as some of the other things I did after. But I wanted to kind of pull myself away from that stigma. And in 1989, 1990 is when I did an album with a band called Eyes. And it was also the first Talisman record. And those albums were primarily hard rock, more melodic rock uh, vibes. Yeah. And that sort of shifted and showed people that I was more than just a metal screamer. It showed that I had a little more to offer on the on the side of uh, of rock that I was doing with these two bands. So from that, I formed this sort of, uh, I, I guess you want to call it a cult following of people really likening to me falling into that category of singing. I mean, I grew up with Journey and Queen and all that stuff. But when I started my career, it wasn't in that lane. I wanted to bring that lane back into my career, or I'm not, not back into it. I wanted to bring it into my career because people didn't know me as that kind of singer. Yeah. And that's where it kind of opened up. And for many years, even decades, I was following that course and that path. So my solo albums are a culmination of exactly that. Every, the sounds are basically um, influences and inspirations that were throughout my career from, I'd say, from 1990 until the early 2000s. And, and so that's that's kind of how I draw for, for my solo stuff because I've done heavy rock records, I've done hard rock records, I've done melodic records, I've done ballads, I've done R&B, I've done so many different things, but my solo career kind of encapsulates all of it. 
because if I'm doing something with Talisman, it's not going to really dig into what I would do on my solo records. Soto, on the other hand, is definitely a heavier, I guess, a more modern urban version of what I love to listen to and what I love to sing. I was that part was missing in my life. I, I wasn't doing heavy music anymore, and I wanted to do something that was modern, something that was sophisticated, and just something that just just pounds your head in, and also to to kind of uh, cater to my harder edged fan base who don't really like to hear me singing, you know, the R&B kind of softer melodic rock kind of stuff. So Soto was based on that. I, I put that band together based on being able to really get out there and, and rock the hell out of a. Uh, uh, an avenue or a lane that I was missing in my life. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really fascinating to hear because I was actually going to say that same thing. The, the, the Malmsteen stuff, there's, you know, there's some, some, it, some of that falls in a, a, like a, almost a power metal and there's some vocal work you do there. That's, that's within your sort of your, your tool set, your vocal tool set that sure. um, are defining tracks of your early um, vocal life and and still are just um, I mean they just you hit some of these soaring notes and you're just singing over this really um, pounding music um, oh god I, I miss being young it was so easy <laughs> when I was young <laughs> I, that's funny I, I hear that once in a while too uh, yeah 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 um, you don't think about that kind of stuff when you're young it's like when I'm 50 I still gotta sing this hang on a second <laughs> Yeah, there's it's the one of the tracks is um, I'll see the light tonight. I think yeah. you do just some crazy awesome vocal work on that. Thank you. And I I think some of that's what set you know helps set. Um, I mean, Malmsteen's uh, a, a force of nature on his own, but like your voice on on some of that music really just pushed it over the edge. Um, um, so, I mean, it's nice to know that you're capable of that, but it's really interesting to hear that some of your heart ha is in some of this, um, I guess, more melodic rock, some of this more classic rock. Do you, when you when you don't do something like uh, Joel Holkster's 13, that's a really modern version of like just really great hard rock music, and your voice is yeah. so good on that. Um, Thanks, man. That seems like it's um, it's a very familiar sort of expressive outlet for you, that that style. Sure, and and that's one of the great things about Joel. He's he's also one of those uh, very well-rounded uh, musicians. He's not stuck, or he's not, he doesn't have the blinders on. Let's put it that way. Yeah. When he writes, when he creates, and when he carves his own niche, it's you can hear so many different influences, not really necessarily following one bitmap. Yeah. And he allows me to be me on that stuff. He doesn't he doesn't dictate how to sound. Uh, and it's it's refreshing for him when he says. Well, this is the general idea. This is just the, you know, this is me just kind of barking out some melody ideas. Do what you do, and it, it again, I get that validation and that 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 uh, the kind of freedom of expression to just be me, but also giving him what's something that came out of his pen, something that came out of his mind. Yeah. And that's the glory of working with people like Joel is that I get to be me, but I also can deliver what he's wanting and expecting out of his own stuff. Yeah, I was I, I got a chance to talk to him and um, it, it was a little surprising to me uh, how sort of open he was to have um, folks like yourself kind of um, dig in and make this song their own and do their thing and give them the leeway. Uh, but I think that's why some of those tracks really jumped. Um, that's music I wasn't as familiar with until maybe the past year or so. And it's really good. So I commend people to it. You and your, your pal Russ Allen do 
um, some of the stuff on those, and like there couldn't be a better complement of voices uh, on on a really great hard rock record like you guys. Yeah, Russ Russell's one of the one of my favorite singers out there. He's such a beast, and he's also another one that uh, a lot of people don't realize how versatile he is. I mean, he's uh, so many years with Symphony X, and he does what he does, and then you hear that really heavy, aggressive side that he did with Adrenaline Mob, and then you see him with TSO singing kind of a blues. Uh, a bar blues kind of thing where, yeah. where you know it's got it's got to sound authentic it's got to sound like it comes from uh, a time that even we weren't alive for, so he's he's another one of those that, he, that can really truly tap into so many different things but make you believe in it it's not just okay i'm singing this because i have to it, when he does it it sounds believable let's cut a um uh, let's cut ahead just, uh, and we'll go back for a minute because I don't want to skip over some of the really good music you've done, but let's talk about TSO for a second. Because one okay. of the things um, um, I remember telling you after, because you, you tour with the West Coast Company, I'm in Seattle, so I've seen you many times here. Um, and you'll come out and you'll do, I mean, you've done all kinds of different songs there, but you'll cover the stuff that, that Tommy did. And right. that's not easy stuff to sing because he has a voice that's really, really distinctive in terms of the sort of um, hoarseness in it uh, that gives it this yeah. a, a raw emotion that I'm sure Paul was thinking about when he was trying to communicate a story. And um, yeah. you go on, man, and you sing those songs with that authenticity. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, so in the same way, the same, same uh, compliment you give to Russell, I want to give to you as relates to music that you're called on to sing with TSO. Because... Um, I mean, I can't even imagine singing that stuff and, and keeping my voice in shape. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, and uh, I, I massive kudos to Paul O'Neill for his creation and his dream and his vision for TSO. And of course, as you're saying, the very early uh, structure of TSO was built behind Tommy Farisi's voice as well. Yeah. The, song, the two songs that I sing every year when we do the uh, Christmas Eve and Other Stories show. Um, and even other shows and other renditions of TSO and other albums and other stories that we've done. Tommy was a part of those too. So I do have to bring those forth as close to what Tommy did on them. I, of course, I want to inject my own vibe into it, sure. but it's not about me. It's not about Jeff Scott Soto when I'm in TSO, what I'm doing with TSO. I'm giving TSO what they're expecting everybody on stage to do to bring those stories and those songs forth. Yeah. And it's not about look at me, notice me, I, I can sing this, I can do that. It's it's all about the story, it's all about the character, it's all about the emotion. And Tommy had that in spades, especially those early songs and when people saw the early versions of TSO. Now, when somebody that important is not part of the fold anymore, somebody else can come in and say, well, now I'm gonna make it mine, or somebody else like myself, would, I had the mindset of saying, I'm gonna extend what Tommy already did. I'm gonna bring forth what he did in my way, but not in a way that's going to kind of bastardize or uh, uh, kind of remove what that emotion and that feeling was when you heard those songs for the first time. Yeah. And so, I, again, I chalk it up to all the uh, the experience I've, I've had through the years of not miming to, but paying homage to the people that inspire me as a singer. And from that, from just from being in top 40 bands, cover bands, before I started with Ingve, I was able to emulate so many different styles and all of that drew into me what I was able to put forth later in my own creations. And so I, I just draw from that when, especially when I'm doing TSO, I, I just draw from the fact that 
I'm going to be emulating somebody else's creation. So I want to bring it forth in the best way I possibly can. Yeah, you do. You do a really good job. There's also um, one or two moments there where you do also create a certain um, looseness, meaning um, it starts to, I mean, everything's um, presented and there's this story quality to, to the show, but there's, yeah. there's some of the songs you do where um, you kind of create this, this um, connection with the audience. You, you're more animated on stage. There's more movement. There's more, uh, and it's a really nice moment in the context of that show where it opens up a little bit more in, uh, it, it feels more participatory. I wanted to let yeah. you know. I think fans really love it, and you do it. You do a good job of drawing them in in those moments. There was a, there's a fine line again between that, because at that point, that's that's the me coming out. That's the me wanting to entertain. That's me wanting to uh, be at one with the audience, and I, I want to bring them into my world as as much as I want them. I want to be in their world. Um, that's not really what TSO is about. Yeah. TSO, especially when you're singing and you're reciting lyrics is about the story. It's about making sure that you're connecting with the story, that the song is connecting with the audience, that they're listening to every word and understanding the emotion and what, what I'm drawing from on yeah. all the songs. But then there's a part of the show, as you're talking about, where I open it up because I want, it's kind of like a celebration. We, we've talked about the sadness. We've talked about the, uh, the particular song I'm talking about, The Runaway, who's now home. And then all of a sudden, that jubilee, that the jubilant feeling that's inside opens me up. And I want to also bring that forward to the audience. I want to open them up. This is a time to celebrate. This is time to be happy. And this is where I get to be Jeff Scott Soto, quote unquote. I, I, I pull that part away from everything else I do at TSO until that moment. And that's, again, it was, it was a fine line of trying to navigate exactly how much to be me and how much to stay within the confides of what is part of the song and part of the show. Yeah. And I, I was able to, it took years. It took me quite a few years to find that balance. And now I've got it. And it was something that made Paul very happy. It, it wasn't over. It wasn't too much like notice me, recognize me. It was, it was all about the Jubilee. That was the, the jubilant feeling that the character who's singing is now feeling. And now he wants the rest of the world to feel that feeling. And that's, that's how I do exactly that. It comes across that way. I think the song's this Christmas day, and when the songs yeah. sort of start to kick in, um, there's this there's this reu this feeling of reunification, and that's a joyful yes. feeling. And um, yeah. the way you kind of open up on stage expresses that. So, um, and yeah. I, I and to, to, not to cut you off, but I think it's going to be even more so, especially as long as everything is is going forth and we're we're able to do the tour this year. I think it's going to be even more so. It's going to be very emotional for me because. Again, we've all been cooped up. We yeah. we are all that same runaway that that song is about. We are all disconnected, and when we are reconnected, it's it's. I'm, I'm getting chills right now talking about it. I'm sure every night I'm doing that, it's gonna it's gonna be so authentic because it's it's now I'm truly feeling it based on what we've all had to you know we've we had to hunker down for the past year and a half or so. Yeah. And uh, I I truly hope that we're able to pull off the tour this year because I know it's gonna be uh, a an assortment of emotions that are going to come out now finally different from what we've already uh experienced in the in the past yeah it's um i mean it's trending that way i know a lot of a lot of bands are making their they're publishing their tour schedules i think that the venues are booking in I, I, the only thing we can pray is that some strange reversal doesn't happen that shuts things back down yeah, and, and 
I, I don't like, to, I don't even like talking about it anymore. I don't like to get in the middle of it. It's, it's so politicized. It's so, yeah. it's so divided of what people believe. I don't really care anymore. All I care about is I don't want my friends to have to, to cancel tours or be sick or go home. And I don't want fans to do the same. I don't want fans getting sick. I don't want fans or, or people that we, we have so many moving parts, man. You have crew, you have the, the organizers, you have the, the people that work at the arenas, everybody's affected by this. It's not just, oh, poor Jeff or poor artists, they, they have to stay home, they can't perform. It's it's about all of us, you know? It's about me being able to perform for people and people being able to get on with their lives and feeling like the like this isn't gonna take over and control us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, it's an entire sector of business. And uh, just on, on the, in the business side, on the fan side, I had an anthropologist on the show a couple of months ago and, w- and she's she's a she's a PhD, and she part of yeah. her published study talks about how rock and metal fans part of how they build identity and credibility inside the community is, is attending these shows. It's a big part of the the fandom, and so not being able to go out has a certain effect on us uh, in a way it doesn't right. even on on some other genres of music and their fan base. So uh, we're all like. I'm with you. I, I think it's just been over politicized. I'm really just ready to have those the opportunity to be be back and you know per, uh, yeah. hear the music and and um and and support you guys. Um, right on. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of your other music though. Um, I, I can't I can't not ask you about Rockstar. <laughs> the uh, uh, my understanding is um, you know your your the record that that was done under the you know, in the name of the the fictional band, you're the lead vocalist on a great many of those, yeah? I'm lead, the the original lead singer, if anybody's seen the movie, uh, the very beginning of the movie, when the credits are rolling, there's a song called Living the Life, that's my voice. Yeah. And then it goes in, and then it segues into Mark Wahlberg and and Jennifer Aniston in the audience watching Steel Dragon. And on stage is the original singer, and they start playing the song Stand Up. That's also my voice. So my voice was, I, I provided the lead vocals for the original lead singer. On the soundtrack, there are three songs um, and only two are actually performed by the actors in the movie. Uh, the third one is, uh, I believe it was Blood Pollution or something like that. Yeah. Anyways, um, so go, I'll, I'll go back to, two, oh, yeah, it was like, uh, 1990, oh man, what year was this? <laughs> I'm trying to remember when I first met Tom Worman, I, I think it was 91. I'm trying to remember when uh, when Striper recorded their first and only non-secular album called Against the Law. Yeah, great album. Very good friends with these guys for many years. And I got a call from Michael Sweet asking me if I would be able to come into the studio and help them out on a, to beef up a couple of their songs, backing vocals. He explained, they're doing this record. It's a little different, it's a little heavier, it's a little beefier than what they've done and basically he said you know when we do our backing vocals it sounds too angelic it sounds too nice they wanted a rougher edge behind it and they knew i had that rougher fuller voice that if i'm singing backgrounds with them it would kind of beef things up so singing on a couple songs here and there ended up me singing background on the the entire record now tom worman was the producer of that record and tom worman is in he's one of those uh veteran producers from the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s before he retired. Um, From that moment on, I sang background on every Tom Worman produced album until he retired. 
which I believe was in 95. I think it was a band called Pariah from Austin, Texas. And the next thing I hear, he's, he's, he's quit the business. He bought a, a, a B&B in, uh, I believe is in Maine. Yeah. And he just went to, I, I'm going to run my B&B and I'm done with the music industry. Fast forward to 2000, uh, they, they're making this movie Rockstar and they pulled Tom Worman out of retirement. They said, we need you because you are the producer for that stuff and that style. And from that, he started putting his thinking cap on, on who he wanted to work with. Uh, somewhere along that path, I sang background on the Steelheart's second album, Tangled in Rains. And from there, I met Mike Mativik. And um, it just, again, it was such an easy process working with, with Tom Werman and his, uh, his engineer, Eddie Delena. And we, we just did so much great work together so quickly and so effectively that he remembered that in the back of his head. And I believe it's one of the things that sparked him to say, I want to call Jeff. I've never worked with him as a lead singer. I want to see what he would sound like here. And of course, having my, my brothers like Zach Wilde and Jeff Pilsen, the other guys who are in the band, uh-huh. back that decision, they're like, oh yeah, you got to call Jeff, got to call Jeff. He can do it. He's the one. I was lucky enough to be able to sing all the songs. They, they sent me everything. I, I, I sang all the songs. And then from there, the director had to choose where my voice was going to fit, whether it's going to be for Mark Wahlberg or it was going to be for uh, Bobby Beers, played by Jason Fleming in the movie. Um, they decided my voice sounded too seasoned. I sounded too much like a veteran singer, not like a, a young kid that doesn't know what uh, how to control the singing voice and all that stuff. They said, you sound too pro. Yeah. So you can't be Mark Wahlberg's voice. And that's why they gave it. They gave me the, uh, the veteran singers parts. Yeah. Did, um, one of those is stand up, isn't it? Yeah. Stand up. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those. So I got to keep it. One of my, my regrets is because I, I, I had to sing, I had to demo the, uh, we all die young. It's such a great song. And I believe it was even a Steelheart song at one point. And it's such a great song, but, I wish that was my voice. I wish I got to, my version got to be released because it's such a great song. There's so, so much fun singing it, yeah. but it makes sense. It was a Steelheart song. Millie, well, he was called Mike Matibi back then, but Millie got to sing his own song for the movie, even though Mark Wahlberg is miming to it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool moment. Um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a moment in time that's really, it, it, if you're a musician and, and you have these aspirations, I talked about this before that moment when he gets the call and he goes and does the auditions gives you chills, you know, cause you, yeah. it's this aspiration. Um, but yeah, so I, I just wanted a, a quick side note there. Cause I, um, for folks who may love the movie, but be less aware, like we're here getting to hear Jeff sing in that, in that music, which is really cool. Um, I wanted to talk just briefly about a couple of other co- collaborations. Uh, you, you, you talked about the Joel stuff, which is amazing. And I want people to go check that out. Um, but you've also, and there's too many to talk about, so I just want to hit a few. You you worked with Michael Schenker some, yeah? Well, on one song, yes. Um, there, there was a time when I was doing these tribute albums with Bob Kulik, Rest His Soul. Um, Bob had this deal with, I believe, Cleopatra Records or a, a couple of different labels where he was doing tribute albums, but they were tribute albums, and he was he was kind of a casting director for a producer. He was producing those records, but he was also casting voices for, if they're doing a tribute to Aerosmith, for instance, or a tribute to Queen or a tribute to Ozzy, he knew that, he knew what voices worked for certain songs. It wasn't just a, 
oh, I'm just going to put a pile of singers and pile of different players. He was casting these people based on what they sound like, what they do, and how well they would be able to bring these songs forward. Yeah. Because if you're just doing a, a, a cover, a remake of something, it can be just boring. It's piss if, if you're just doing the same exact versions. Yeah. So he wanted new elaborations on those songs, but they also had to be done by the right people. And, and, and that's why it was great working with Bob because when he was casting me for certain songs, he, he already knew my voice would work for these particular ones that he put me on. And um, yeah, so that was, that was, that was just one of those. Uh, he was doing a, a Michael Shanker tribute album, but this particular album, Michael Shanker was playing all his guitars on. So he was doing stuff from MSG, he was doing stuff, um, I think from Rainbow, UFO, et cetera, throughout his career, redoing certain songs that people knew through his career and his walk of life. And I, and the funny thing is I didn't get to meet him then. I, I met him years later at a festival in England that was backstage and I was introduced to him finally. I finally got to say hello to him. And they were doing the song Doctor Doctor on stage literally within the next half hour. He said, hey, you should come up and sing it with us. I'm like, oh, I'm dressed in shorts. I'm not. I went to the event, it was a warm, you know, English day. And I <laughs> I went to the event just to chill. I didn't go to, to perform or anything. So I wasn't even dressed for the part. And to be honest with you, I did. I don't. I didn't memorize the song. I didn't memorize the verses. So he said, "Oh, don't worry. We've got a we've got a teleprompter on the stage. It'll be it's because I know the song, but I just don't know all the words by heart, except for the doctor, doctor, please. It's the easy part." So I said, "Great, yeah, I'd love to come up. <laughs> I'll never forget it." Went on stage. We started the song. I I think it's because of the way the sun was facing. The, the teleprompter was basically all black. It was like a silhouette oh, no. of a teleprompter. <laughs> you could not be, I had to like go like this to see the words. That's how close I was to the teleprompter. <laughs> I, I literally went on my knees to try to memorize some of the lyrics of the verses. And I looked at the other guy that was normally sit there to sing the song and go, take the verses. I'll just sing the choruses. <laughs> That's awesome. What a great story. Um <laughs> Well, look, I, we can't hit them all, but let me, let me, for the people who are on, let me just, um, it, now that we're on tributes, um, you've, and I don't know if it's the same producer, but across your career, you've been called on to cover Deep Purple, Queen, Van Halen, Ozzy, Aerosmith, Pink Floyd, uh, Maiden, uh, Zeppelin, uh, the Beatles. Like, uh, it's, it's an impressive, I know, and, and fans love these. They, they, they love some of their favorite musicians sure. get in and do these covers, so. I encourage people to go and take a look at these. And again, this I'll have a pointer, um, but Jeff's, you know, Jeff's covered all the greats. Um, uh, and I think that's another telltale sign of, of um, how he's viewed by his peers inside the, the music community, which is really cool. Um, you also did some work with um, Gus G. Didn't you do a track or two with Gus? Yeah, I did. I did one song on his first solo album. And I think I did two on the second. I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure I did two on the second one. And yeah, Gus was, he'd been doing Firewind for so long and he, he was doing his first solo album when he was still with Ozzy. Um, so it was, it was nice of him to invite me to be a part of that because we had just met, we were just more acquaintances at that point. Yeah. And the fact that I got to work with him on that first album and then he wanted to do like a little mini tour in the US and he asked me to be the front man for that. So it was also great being able to sing a lot of the songs from that record that I didn't sing on. Um, and, you know, we did an Aussie song as well. It was, it was a lot of fun being a part of Gus's arsenal as well, because 
I, I think he's one of the greatest players out there. He's such, such a talent. And I never realized, I never really followed his, I never followed Firewind. I never really followed his career. I only knew of him really from the, 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 the album that he did with Ozzy. And, and I don't think he even played on much of that. So I was intrigued by any guitar player that gets the Ozzy gig. You got to, you got to, yeah. basically step back and listen because yeah. you know he doesn't he doesn't bring in any slouches and so this is what this is where i finally discovered gus's talent and and from there i i expanded and you know i listened to firewind i listened to everything he's doing lately and he's just a brilliant brilliant guitar player just so so dedicated to his craft he's in between shows before soundcheck in between soundcheck he's constantly constantly playing he's not like it's not like he's just warming up. He's just always wanting to get better, always wanting to be the best he can be. And I absolutely admire about that about the guy. Yeah. And I, and um, we've, we had Gus on as well. I love these connections that we find between in the, in the music community, but your voice family is really well with his material. Um, Cause he usually yeah. finds somebody who's got that, that real power and that real um, ability to hit that, that, that grit and give it some drive. Um, Right. Th those tracks are great, and so we'll commend people to Thank go you. and take a look at those, too. And most recently, the last one I want to mention in the collaborative world is Octavision. And um, this is more recent, and I, was I wasn't actually aware of this until I, I started kind of prepping to have this conversation with you. It was interesting to me because I'm half Armenian, and the composer of the thing is an Armenian guy. And this is yeah. this music is really good, but it's, um, it's really it leans more on the progressive side than things I've heard you sing before. Was, do you think that's fair characterization? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it Sons of Apollo opened a, a whole new door for me and that, and that's, uh, and that it, again, when you do something and people like what you did or they believe in what you did, they finally look at you differently. They look at you as, oh, I didn't know he could do that. Yeah. I never did anything in the prog world. I, I've dabbled in it in Talisman and, and other bands I've been in. We dabble into like different time sigs and that type of thing, but I've never been in a situation like a dream theater or a rush, a, a prog, that level of, of uh, that style in that world. So being a part of Sons of Apollo opened that world up. And this is where people like Hoback from Octavision and others that I've done since, I've done a lot of sessions now all of a sudden because a lot of people are seeing what I can actually bring to the prog world is a little different than what the normal singers are doing in Prague. Right. And what, one of the things I, I, one of the biggest validations I've gotten in my career, and I, I, I stand proud every time I, I say this, I, I remember listening to an interview that uh, Mike Portnoy was doing when we were doing the, uh, the first Sons of Apollo tour, uh, where he was asked to describe each of the members and his relationship with them. And when he got to me, he said, the one thing I love about Jeff is he injects soul and and there's a different emotion, there's a different soulfulness that he puts in what he's doing with us than I've ever heard in any prog situation ever. So Jeff is not a prog singer, but he can sing that style, but he brings in something else that wasn't there before, and that's a soulfulness. And, and to actually say soulfulness in, this, in the same category of prog, it's not something <laughs> you hear about that often. So that to me, again, was a, another validation of what I bring to the table and from that, I think others are now that have hired me and that brought me on to especially things like Octavision, they want to see if they can also get that kind of side instead of it being so, you know, straight to the point. And, and uh, it, Prague's got its own kind of world of where they, where a lot of the singers, they make sure they stay within. 
there's, there's not really a, a broader scope to, to, I mean, it's crazy that some of the stuff that they sing and do, yeah. but it, I think it's the way people look at prog music is more mathematical. I guess I'm, I'm saying there's a lot of that approach even to the singing where I just, I, it's gotta be emotive. It's gotta be, if you're angry, make it angry, make it tough, make it aggressive. And if it's light and it's something emotional, just drop back and do it in a way that could sound like um, Marvin Gaye is doing it, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't even think about it. I, I, just, I just let it flow. It's, it's part of my DNA. I just let it flow. Well, that, that and I want, we'll move on to Sons of Apollo since you brought it up. But that, as the part, <clears throat> as a transition there, the, it's a more recent um, effort. But I l went and listened to a bunch of this um, Octavision. And it's yeah. really good. And it was really refreshing to hear. Uh, and even even inside the prog world, I think um, um, Hovac has got a, a, his own distinctive songwriting and compositional sure. style. But you, how you layer your voice on top of that did create like a new experience. It was really cool. It was really, really cool. I, I'm, all my prog friends need to go check it out. I hadn't heard about it. Yeah. Um, Billy Sheen is on that. And that, Billy's the one that got me in there. He's like... Um, he was already doing it um, with Hoback, and I don't I don't know if it was a suggestion from Billy yeah. to get me on it, or if it was Hoback that went to Billy's scene. If I would be on it, but Billy came to me. He said, "Hey, this is thing I'm I'm being hired to do, and uh, they they're interested in if to see if you'd sing on it." And I said, "If it's good enough for Billy to play on, it's good enough for me to sing on." Yeah, yeah, oh, it's a good it's a good match, um, and and an unlikely match. Like with the music, yeah. you you so whoever sort of. Uh, I guess suggested that and made those choices. Like kudos to them for like thinking outside the box a little bit. I think it's yeah. it's really good. Um, so that, let's talk a little bit about Sons of Apollo. This um, this is more recent, but this this project landed really really with a splash. That's a really that's such a tired metaphor, but um, <laughs> it, it it came like it came on strong. Now it's a it's a so called super group by virtue of the fact that everybody at every position is such a strong player with such a strong history, but even, and we all walk around wearing capes too. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're going to have to do that now. Um, <laughs> but it's well, the first letter of the band name is the right one. Big S. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, um, you landed on, I mean, you, everybody knew you. And so when the name started getting attached to this new project, everybody was really excited and it, it didn't disappoint. Uh, um, that first record had, Oh, there were a lot of people that sound trust. I, I read all those comments. <laughs> I got a lot of hate out there. They're like, why couldn't you get Russell Allen to sing this band and this, uh, this Soto guy? <laughs> yeah. like, you can't. Win. But you know what, dude? Um, from my time at Microsoft, what I what's the reality is that vocal minority is a minority. Um, um, you know, it, it, of course, they're still out there and there's everybody's going to have an opinion. But um, sure. the, the, the music. It, my perception of its reception is that it was overwhelmingly positive and the second record even more so so much so in fact that it had a bunch of chart positions um all across europe um so i mean as one indicator of success that can be something that can be looked at but i was i was revisiting it because i've heard this material because i i'm a old dream theater fan and so of course i'm a fan of mics and um I stopped. I had to. I had to listen to it a couple of times. The track you guys did Desolate, called "Desolate July." And this was a, right. an homage to David Z, was it not? Yes. Really powerful tune. Like, yeah, thank you. you yeah, I, Mike and I. I mean, obviously, Mike knew him a lot longer than I did, but they were very close. They were good friends for many years. 
before I got to meet and work with David. Uh, but I think I was as close to David as Mike was in the length of time he knew David as the time that I actually got to spend with David. Because when you spend, when you're touring with anybody, you're spending every day with that person and you, you get to know them inside and out and you get to know who they truly are as opposed to knowing just knowing somebody for many years and seeing them in different walks of life and different uh you know backstage at this show or opening up a couple of shows when you tour with somebody i mean it's it you truly understand what makes them tick and who they are and i got that i got a lot of hands-on experience with all my guys and and they're they're all my brothers and it's when you lose somebody like that it's it's beyond heavy it's 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 exactly like losing a family member it's exactly like losing a pet it's it's this the same deep hearted everything just drops in you and of course you know we both felt the same way about david and when i heard that song i don't even know first of all i knew i wanted to write the lyrics about david and when the actual word july was thrown into the title i had to come up with something that describes what why why i'm talking about july it's it can't is it a happy july is it a july morning it's a desolate july because every time this date in july comes around that's it, it just brings me to that that place when it, the first day i found that we lost them and it's you know i i hate to sound i don't want it to be a downer it's a it truly is a tribute to the person that david z was and the, the song is a testament to who he was and how he was. So I want to be, I just want to have that memory in there more so as a positive one, as opposed to feeling dismal every time, you know, that time of year comes around. Yeah. I, um, it, we've already kind of talked about the degree to which you really always bring a soulfulness, but this song, maybe it's part of the layer of the emotion, but this song, uh, I had to re-listen to it a couple of times um, because of, because of its impact. I think it's. I think you've done a good job in capturing like your love for him with that with that track, and I wanted to, I want to call attention to it so people might you know, and I know you guys participate in a sort of a yearly benefit in his name. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. His brother Paulie started the David Z Foundation. Uh, Paulie was already involved, as was David in uh, rock schools, rock scholarships, or music scholarships, rather, um, for the rock schools. And it, they were always about giving back. If anybody knows anything about the, the Z Brothers, they also had a TV show called Z Rock. And the show was loosely based around the fact that they actually did have a side group. Uh, they, they were a rock band at night, and during the day, they were doing kids' songs. They would be hired for parties, you know, uh, little events for children's organizations, et cetera where they would actually be singing children's like wheels on the bus go round and round, that kind of stuff. But they loved music and the connection with music and kids. They loved music as kids and didn't have programs. They didn't have scholarships. They didn't have ways to help them progress and learn about music and the importance of music. So they decided to, um, even without the world knowing who they were, they were throwing themselves into that world of music programs and scholarships, et cetera. The fact that we lost David Paulie went the next step. He, he put David's name on the foundation and now everything is based on what they already started together many, many years ago. And it's now, now because of David's passing, the platform has is, is become much bigger. We can utilize a lot of the people around the world who knew David or didn't know about, didn't know him, but knew about him. And everybody wants to be a part of this. Everybody that's contributing into it is truly doing it from the heart. This, this, it's not about, uh, 
what it can do for them or what it can do for me. It's all about what we can do for the organization and bringing the awareness of music, the importance of music, the, the fact that music programs are being cut from schools and the kids need an avenue. They need to know that there's somewhere they can go and we're, we're providing that for them. Yeah. It's, uh, I love that you said that because I've, I've mentioned that on the show before, the fact that music programs are getting cut. And I don't think people understand uh, it's not just about do we need another trumpet player. The, it's the very act of creating music. Um, it helps the soul. And I know that sounds super high-minded, but it, it, it that's an important experience. Um, so I love that you guys are doing that. Um, yeah, it goes back to the cliche of what we talked about earlier, about music being therapy, about music healing the soul or helping you through hard times, all of the above. You're, you're going to have that naturally, but if you also have that natural yearning and that natural knack to pick up an instrument and you want to actually expand upon it, if you, if you come from a, a poor family or a family that can't afford lessons or there's no music programs that give you that access, this is where the David Z Foundation is really stepping forward. And we're, we're uniting with all the rock schools where, where I'm working also hands-on with the, um, with the, um, another organization that we brought into the fold. And to me, it's important just for the awareness to be there, for everybody to be, to know that there's somewhere they can go. They, they all, it's a click away to get information on, on how to get that child to progress and excel in what they want to do if they want to do this for a living. And if they don't want to do it for a living, it's a great hobby yeah. that keeps you out of trouble, that helps you through hard times. It, 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 it keeps your your creativity flowing. So the boredom or the, the, uh, the ideal of maybe going down the wrong track, it, it, all those things are so important. That's what music has to offer. That's exactly right. I couldn't have said that better myself. That's, um, and we'll, uh, we'll include pointers to that stuff um, in, in our show notes here. Um, I, I wanted to, to make a nod too in the, the context of um, your work with Mike and Sons of Apollo, y you guys recorded uh, a live show. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Was it was it Plavdiv, um Roman Theater? Plavdiv. Okay. It's Plavdiv. Plavdiv. It's exactly how it's spelled. Plavdiv. Okay. I was, I'm not great at foreign <laughs> languages. But you guys did uh, – people need to watch this. It, it, from the very beginning, it's just a beautiful location. Like it must have been yeah. fun as hell to sing there. <laughs> oh. I don't get nervous anymore. I don't, I, I don't, you can put me in front and in front of 75,000 people, which I got to do with, with uh, TSO when we played the Bakken festival yeah. and we actually, we played on both stages, man, I, I've got some crazy things that I can look back and reflect in my life. And that was one of those things that Paul O'Neill said, Jeff, you know, you know, the first time you saw the Beatles playing on the top of a rooftop uh, performing a concert, and then you saw it many years later where um, YouTube did the same kind of thing with the streets have no name. TSO is going to be the first one. If anybody ever is crazy enough to do what we just did on two stages, making multiple two stages lit up and both bands playing at the same time, anybody's daring enough to try that, they're always going to remember that we did it first. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> so the Bob did thing came about in Bulgaria. This is this old amphitheater. Um, it was quite a few years ago. I, I don't know exactly when. It was basically dug up. It was it was buried in a lot of sand and mountains and rocks or whatever because it, it wasn't used for a long time. I think when they were about to build developments there or they were trying to develop the area, they dug it up and they realized, hang on a second, 
this thing is still intact the way it was. This thing was built before Christ. Wow. This is this goes back to BC, this amphitheater. So it's one of Plovdiv is one of the oldest, if not the oldest city in all of Europe. This is what I I I, I, I maybe going off the uh, the rails here, but this is what oh, I've this heard. Is good. And so when they dug this up, they didn't do anything really to restore it. They try to keep it as it truly was. I mean, they have the stone benches. The steps are really narrow and thin. And I remember towards the end of the thing, I normally go out into the audience when we did the Van Halen cover. I remember the, the band and the crew saying, dude, please be careful because I have a size 14 foot and those steps are literally like, like a, a size six. So if you step the wrong way, you're going to go tumbling down a bunch of yeah, stone. Man. So I remember being petrified, like almost walking on my tippy toes because I didn't want to step the wrong way and, and go tumbling down while, while the cameras are rolling. So um, so this is a, it, it's a, an amazing, again, the acoustics even of this amphitheater. That's why amphitheaters are built. They're based around where the acoustics would work for, um, especially back then, BC, they didn't have amplification. They didn't have microphones. Everything about it had to be, so you can do a performance there and be able to be heard and seen through the entire audience. So when I heard we were doing a live DVD there, it was just, and we were gonna have a, an orchestra and a choir. I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. Now, my wife is from Bulgaria. So she was there, her family were there. A, a lot of friends that I met through her were there. So I had a lot of my shoulders. It, it truly was like doing a hometown show, like playing an LA show with your family and your friends there except you're doing it in a Roman amphitheater. You know, it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So everything about that DVD still gives me chills today. I, I remember at the end of it, because it was a longer show than we normally did with Sons of Apollo, I went backstage and I just collapsed because I gave everything I had in me and then some. And it was so emotional for me. There were times I was singing, just going, looking around me going, oh my God, I can't believe what we're doing, where we are. Yeah. And it all that emotion on top of all the energy I put into the show, I was just drained flat. And I go, I even told Mike, I go, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just watched it the other day. Um, and I, everybody's got to, everybody's got to go watch this. It's, uh, I mean, you do songs from the record, of course, but you do a bunch of yeah. covers. You do some Dream Theater stuff. Uh, you do uh, Aerosmith. Um you do the Van Halen and you do, you nailed it that night. You were on. Um, yeah, it was, it was an impressive. Well, I, give, I give Fortnoy, Fortnoy gets all the credit for the set list. He's, uh, he's, I, I'm, I'm going to call him in a positive way. This is not, I, I don't want blabbermouth or anybody else <laughs> to take this the wrong way. He's a control freak, but in a, in a positive way, in a way that it, he knows it's good for us. Yeah. It's good for all of us. It benefits us. So when he builds the set list or even suggests, he sent the master list of songs that he knew would work great for the orchestra and the choir, as opposed to us saying, yeah, I want to do this song. I want to do that song. No, he already put the concept of thought behind which songs would work best. And then I went and checked off the ones that I wouldn't mind singing and would I, lo I would love to sing. Uh, but it was the first time in my life I've ever sung Cashmere. I've never sung Dream On Live. I've never sung Gates of Babylon. Um, so... Diary of a Madman never sang that song live. So for me to actually sing these the first time ever the day before rehearsal with the orchestra and then actually go do it live in front of an audience with cameras rolling, and this is going to be now for the world to see on a Blu-ray, it, it truly was, uh, it, it, it's, 
I'm I'm tired now just talking about it because it, it truly was a lot of work. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm actually glad you shared the backstory on on um, the various pressures that you know that because I, and I've said this before in the show. No disrespect to the instrumentalists, but the the, the vocalist has some unique pressures. One, like it or not, they're usually the focus for the audience. Two, their their sure. instruments biological, so um, diet, sleep. Um, all of these things affect the voice in certain ways, and then you and add you can't the voice you can on a guitar player's fingers. That's right. So you, I mean, so and layer on that, you know, the the you're going to film it, so it's a forever thing. It's you know at this uh, historic location, you've got family. It's a lot, and the fact that you sort of showed up with an A game uh, is really cool. I'm glad I got to hear some of the 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 rest of it because it was already like fun to w- watch just for the music and the performance and and beautifully shot now i have yeah. more I, I have more respect for you for for all the things that like had to go you, you had to do right uh to nail that it's well thank done. you it's well done i appreciate people, it people need to go watch this it's 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 a great set list it's um it yeah just i've said enough go watch it we'll put a we'll put a pointer awesome. um i don't want to take your whole afternoon i i want to make a couple of other mentions though um you, this you, you're in this other sort of super group called WET. Um, you can call it wet. What we call it. Okay. Um, I wasn't familiar with this. So that's probably why I got the name yeah. wrong. Um, is this? Uh, but then I went and listened to the music, and the music's amazing. Is this? Will there be more from this project, or are you too busy with other things now? Uh, this is this is an ongoing project that was exactly that a project. This was uh, the brainstorm of the president of Frontiers Records, Serafino Perugino. Uh, I've been with Frontiers Records. Next year, it'll be 20 years. And I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I'll go on record by saying that this was his first super group idea. Now, super group can be seen or, or discussed in many different facets. Whenever, whenever something comes out about wet, they say the super group wet, and then you see all the comments, super group. I've never heard of any of these guys. Super group is, in Serafino's eyes, what he wanted to piece together for this concept. It, a super group to him was taking the best of some of his talent and putting them in one room and seeing what they come up with. Yeah. So in his, in his heart, it was a super group from the very beginning, even though I was the only one at that point who had much of a name behind myself. Um, there's another group called Work of Art that's on Frontiers Records and another group called Eclipse. And this is where we got the name of the band from. Work of Art is where the W comes from. Eclipse is where the E comes from, and Talisman is where the T comes from. So you put these three writers slash members of these three different bands, and that's what formed and what came, that's what what came of. Uh, In the beginning, it was a a one-off just to kind of uh, appease Serafino's yayas. He wanted to see what we'd come up with, but it was so strong, it was so widely received, it was time to talk about album number two, and then album number three, and then as of last year, album number four. We also have a live album, and this is one thing that I we all love doing. As long as it's uh, you know we we find the time and we can squeeze it into into the the other things that we're actually already doing. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why Wet has never really toured because we don't have the time to tour. When we have the time to record, we basically everybody locks in their schedule so we can get the albums done. But after that. There's a new work of art album. There's Jeff Scott Soto's working on 15 other albums, and yeah. Eclipse is working on, and, and Eric Martinson, who's part of the uh, the E in that word, um, he's also writing and producing other people. So 
everybody's extremely busy, exceptionally busy. And that's one of the reasons why Wet doesn't tour, but we will continue doing albums as long as, again, like I say, I'll always say, as long as people are listening and want it, we'll be doing them. Yeah, it's really good music. I, I wanted to call attention to it because I'm assuming if I hadn't heard of it, there's other people who haven't heard of it yet. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a chance to go find, discover four albums worth of music that's really, really well done. Um, Thank you. And I want to I preface something you're probably going to bring up. Yeah. Um, just before that first album was released, is I, I was let go from Journey. Now, on purpose, there were some songs on the first Wet album that had a very Journey flavor to them. And, and I can't help it. I, I'm so influenced by Steve Perry. It's, it's just in my DNA. I, there are times you give me a ballad, you're going to hear my Perryisms come out because yeah. it's just part of the same that. way Sam Perryism. was part of <laughs> yeah, Sam Cooke was part of his wheelhouse, and his, he, he came from that Sam Cooke lane, and you can hear it in a lot of Journey songs, a lot of the, the phrasings and the grammar, the way certain words are said and sung. Steve was able to, uh, he put that into his own music. So from that, I kind of draw from Steve Perry into my own music, and of course, Sam Cooke, I went into his reference. I had to go to the source. Um, so that being said, there were a couple songs that sounded very journey and on purpose. I wanted to, I wanted to leave my mark on those songs of what could have been had I, had I gone on with journey. Sure. And a lot of people heard those particular songs I'm talking about. They said, this sounds like what journey could have actually become or what journey would have sounded like with Jeff singing for them. And that to me was, I did it. Now I can move away from that. I, of course, I'll always have that Steve Perry influence in what I'm doing. And you'll hear like, little bits and bobs here and there but those two particular songs on that record i pulled out all the perry stops tell us can you give us the, the titles of those two songs <laughs> so we can if i fall is the is the definite that's that's definitely one is a song called if i fall it's it sounds it, it's it's so journey that i i think it's it's more journey than even journey's music <laughs> and it was it was strange when uh when i got the song because it, it it sounded like are you guys doing it like this on purpose so you uh, you you you're trying to make me sing like uh, like steve perry on this on purpose or was it just by pure coincidence and accident yeah and um the, i think the, the other one is called running from the heartache i, I i'm just going into perry's world yeah. and i'm bringing forth that that clean sam cook uh motownish kind of vibe to the hard rock sound yeah i and you're exactly right i was going to mention it because i even though that didn't go on the to me yeah. the fact that 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 journey made the decision to have you tour with them and gave you a nod to be in the band however it changed later uh is is yet another affirmation right it's got to be because right. um steve perry is widely regarded as one of the greatest rock singers ever um Absolutely. so staff having to step into his shoes to perform his songs that's not trivial <laughs> right yeah um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's, again, the validation came from Neil, who heard me, you know, when we had the year prior to uh, me joining Journey, we had a band called Soul Circus, and there were a few little bits that I put a few periods but I, intentionally, I didn't want it to sound like an extension what Neil was already doing with Journey. He wanted, it, he wanted it to be a departure, pun intended, from what he was doing with Journey, and that's what Soul Circus was supposed to represent. So I tried to stay away from that world, but there's one particular song uh, on the record called Coming Home that I really, I parried the hell out of it. And that's actually on my upcoming duets album that oh, I, nice. co I 
duet it with the Dean Castanova, who's another one who really nails that Perry, that Perry world. So now for both of us, Perry, uh, it's kind of like the deliverance. Ding, 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 ding. It's like, and now the banjo does it. That's, that's me and Dean on this song. So it's like, oh yeah, you're going to parry out on that. I'm going to parry out on this. And, you know, God bless Steve Perry. He, he, he gave us a, just a world of influence and in music. That's so important to everyone. Yeah, he did. And so, yeah. So from my time with soul circus and even at sound checks, when we're, I'm sitting at the piano, just playing every B side deep cut journey song under the sun. Obviously, Neil stored in the back of his head that when they when push came to shove and it was either pack up and go home, you know, our singer's toast, he needs the rest, or we we pull in the uh, the the the, uh, the relief pitcher, and that's what I was for the first year with Journey, and so they they dubbed me the permanent singer, but then obviously that didn't last more than five months. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm yeah, and I'm not into my my I never have the goal of drama or whatever. I I just love the the um the affirmation part of that. And, and as a person who has loved Perry forever, I can only imagine what it must've been like to sing his songs fronting that band. One one of the, the hardest parts about singing for journey. Okay. First of all, replacing Steve Perry, Steve Jerry already had that task, but now I had the task of replacing the guy who replaced the guy. Yeah. Now, if it were queen, if it were a situation like queen or ACDC where the, the singer's deceased. There's no way that singer's ever going to sing those songs again. So for the band to forge on, they have to get a new singer. Stop whining, stop bitching, stop moaning. The band's moving forward with a new singer because their original singer is no longer with us. Right. Steve Perry was alive and well. Nobody knew his whereabouts. Nobody knew if he was recording it. But all he ever said was, I'm retired from singing, retired from performing. But in the fans, especially the Fairweather fans who are not watching all the, the blabbermouths and all the, all the talk and all the, the gossip, the Fairweather fan just, they'll come to a Journey song and all they'll say is, that ain't Steve Perry, because they don't even know he hasn't been in the band for 20 years. Yeah. All they know is, who's that guy? What, this ain't Journey, what's going on here? You know, they feel duped. Yeah. So that was probably the hardest part about singing for Journey for me, was going on stage every night when, a good portion of the audience is going, wait, Steve Perry's alive. He can still sing, I bet. Why isn't he doing this? Why do they, why do they have this guy? Yeah. And that's, if Steve Perry were no longer with us, I think it would have been a little easier transition. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, there's, yeah, I, that's well said. I think there's some fans, they just, um, I, I, I've had- No, I, and I get it, you know, I get no, it. No, I do too. I, 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 yeah, I, I absolutely to, get it. I'm not trying to throw, throw shade on fans. Um, yeah. But I do, I do, um, I, I like to encourage this, this idea of fandom that is, you know, loving the artist for all of the things the artist wants to do, which is why I think you're such a great example. You've done the stuff with Yngwie, which is really, a, you know, aggressive power metal hitting these crazy notes. You've done stuff that's um, more rock oriented. You've now done stuff that's got more of a progressive edge. Um, and I, I, I like to encourage fandom that says, let's be a fan of Jeff. And go see what kind of things Jeff does. Let's not only be happy when we get to hear Jeff sing with XYZ band, whatever that band is. Um, and that's why I'm taking you through the, a stroll of your I, career. I think, I think I want my epitaph on my tombstone to say, Jeff Scott Soto, a work in progress. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Even when I'm dead, I'm, I've got so much a, a body of work out there that is so much to discover. 
I'm a work in progress for oh life. Oh my gosh, you should you should totally have a bunch of posthumous records coming out because you you know. <laughs> oh gee, like they're doing with Prince. You know? Yeah, they, they're going into Prince's vaults and releasing stuff. I'm sure he wanted no one to hear. Yeah, well, they were in the vault for a reason. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, let me do a couple of things real quick. Um, I want folks to know just as a couple of more nods here. Um, it as it, as a session, it, it, you already described the situation as striper, but in that same way. You've gotten a call from um, bands like uh, House of Lords, um, McQueen. Uh, this took me back McQueen Street. I remember my, a buddy of mine was their touring drummer. Uh, I remember seeing those guys live. Um, you mentioned Stillheart, Babylon AD, um, Slaughter, Paul Gilbert, Dawkins, um, Ronnie Montrose. I mean, the there's there's so many great records that um, your talent has helped uh, beef up, even when you weren't on uh, in front of the mic as right. as a lead. I just wanted to say, and that's not all of them, but I wanted folks to get a sense of um, the breadth of, of your participation and contributions, um, even outside a lot of the bands we've talked about where you, you're sure. the focal point. Um, I guess the last thing is, let's talk just a little bit about duets. Um, the, this is your, your next Frontiers release, and this is, you, you kind of mentioned this, I think, or maybe you told me this before we got on, uh, on the stream, but um, these are songs from various... Um, prior releases but you're doing them in a new way tell us a little about it the idea came from um I, I was i was having a discussion with frontiers about my next solo record and i said in between that is there something we can do uh, we don't know when the world's going to reopen we don't know when live shows are going to happen again i don't know none of us knows anything at this point we we're just coming up with ideas and game plans of how to fill that time depending on how long we think or we, we feel it's going to be. And this is where I got to actually utilize what I learned from Bob Kulik and doing all the, the tribute albums he did. This was sort of a tribute to myself. They, at first, it was the idea from Frontier. They said, why don't you do uh, a covers album? And I've done enough covers and tribute albums and all that stuff through my life and career already. I thought, that's going to be a bit bland. This, People have heard me do other songs and re re remakes of other songs already enough. Yeah. If I do another one of those, I think it'll fall flat. It's like, yeah, we've heard him sing this song, that song, that band, whatever. So then they said, well, what, what about doing what Michael Shanker did and doing a remake album of stuff that you've already done? I go, now we're on to something. And this is where I came up with the idea. Why don't I invite different singers that for me work on each individual song, like I said with Dean Castronova on Coming Home because he's got that Perry influence and that song is very Perry driven. Yeah. It made sense to get Dean. So I became a bit of a casting director the way Bob Kulik was on those other tribute records, except for the music. I, I, I tried to keep the music as straight ahead as the way people know those songs and have heard them a bunch of times. But it was also about having the right voice singing alongside with me because it's going to be easy for me to just redo something that I've done and I've sung live for so many years and so many decades already, but to have somebody else come in and represent that the way those songs should be represented was that was going to be the task. So my, my main list and my, the majority of my list were frontiers singers or artists. These, every singer on this album had to be related to or on frontiers records. I think the only one that's on there that is not, let me go back. I think Matt Slevin, is the only singer that's not on a Frontiers release, but everybody else is connected to Frontiers records with, it, with, some, yeah. with some connection. And then on top of that, 
I had a, a lot of the new breed, a lot of the new singers that were on Frontiers Records from Dino to, um, from Renan, uh, the, the band Electric Mob in, in Brazil. Um, we've also got Alidio, who's also just released his new solo album. Uh, and Alidio's part of the Queen Extravaganza. So everybody's tied into me in some way, shape or form, but they're also tied into Frontiers music as well. And that way it gives the label a boost. It gives their individual bands and talents a boost. Nathan James from Inglorious, you know, I've got um, uh, Johnny Joelli was, he's doing these things. He's got Hardline and he's doing the, the other things with Castronova on Frontiers. So everybody's tied in in some way, shape or form with Frontiers music. So that way we kind of keep it under that umbrella. Yeah. It's also bringing the songs forth the way they, they're meant to sound if somebody else were singing them, the way Eric Martin sings Mysterious, the way um, uh, Russell Allen is singing Calling All Girls With Me. It's, it's, I, I chose Frontiers and I chose the songs that we wanted to redo. And then it was up to me to find the right voice, voices to cast in there with me. Yeah, I love that, man. I love the thoughtfulness in the approach. And I was going to throw those names out. I don't need to now because you've given us uh, all these guys. It, and I'm missing some because it's it's the the album is just chock full of again Eric Martinson. He's singing the one of the songs from the Rockstar movie with me on it. And you know I, I everybody knows Eclipse. They know Eric's voice a certain way when we do Wet. But I want I know Eric is really into hard driving rock and roll. He loves ACDC. He loves Motorhead. So I wanted to give him something he could just sink his teeth into as, as opposed to having to sing something more along the lines of the hard rock world that he's normally used to being heard. Yeah. So I took all these different things into account in, in who I was going to cast on certain songs. And my God, everybody stepped up and then some. Yeah. It's, uh, and tell us when that's out, October or something. Yeah, I, I, the, the actual date escapes, I think it's October 6th. I don't have it in front of me here. It is. But, I, know, uh, I know it's early. It's like the 6th or the 8th. Yeah. Um, so we can, and will there be some more singles you'll, you'll release before then? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I think the next single will be the one with Dean, if I'm not mistaken, Coming Home. And then uh, we've also done a video single for the song Holding On with BJ, who's, uh, BJ's this, he's the singer of a new band called Spectra that, that I got signed to Frontiers. But BJ's also been part of my solo career and the band Soto for the past 20 years. So uh, he's, he's a lead singer and he always has been a lead singer who could play guitar and keyboards. He's a great instrumentalist, but he's more of a great singer. It's one of the reasons why I brought him along with me because uh, a, a lot of my songs are very demanding vocally and you can't just get a guitar player who can kind of sing backing vocals. I needed a lead singer in the band to be able to cover a lot of the stuff. Yeah. So BJ has been kind of playing second fiddle to me, but, and most people don't know him as the great lead singer that he is. And this is why I pushed like hell to get this Spectre album uh, the, the band Spectra signed and I worked on the record, co-produced it with Alessandro and we came up with a great debut record for these guys. And now the rest of the world can hear BJ's voice in all its glory. That's cool. Yeah. I look forward to, to that, to the record as well as the, uh, the duet you do. Um, and you mentioned yeah. something that we didn't, we didn't touch on a, as you were talking is, um, your connection to queen you've sung, you've performed with Brian May. He's been part of the extravaganza. You've done tributes, um, there's even a photo I, when I was just kind of trying to put together some things to chat about. There's some photos of you um, that look very much, uh, you know, very queen-like, very, um, I don't know. You, you have the same facial structure, uh, I think. Um, so it makes sense to me in, in all kinds of ways that you, uh, you've done that. It, was that as queen, was queen a big influence for you? Oh, God, yes. I mean, 
there are only three bands in the world that I ever would ever want to front, that I ever want to replace the singers and, and, and represent. And I've gotten to do two of them, like Journey Queen and Van Halen. And, and when I'm talking Van Halen, it's no slight to Sammy Hagar, but early Van Halen is, is the Van Halen that I love. And when I, and when I talk about Van Halen, that's the Van Halen I'm referring to. I, the Van Hagar years was another world and I love that too. I love Sammy, I love his voice. I love everything he does and I have nothing but respect and love for the man. But the, the party Van Halen was the one that got me, it, it was the one that gives me the memories of when I was really starting to accept rock into my world. By the time Sammy was there, I, I'd already done Ingve, I'd already, I'd already been here, there and everywhere. Yeah. Um, so in the fact that I got to sing for Journey and I got to actually perform Queen songs with Brian and Roger. It's it truly is uh, it's it, it's a pinch me moment really, and it, and it's uh, it's something I would have absolutely accepted and loved to do in a in a real way, but unfortunately didn't come to pass. The closest to that was doing the Queen extravaganza that Roger was very part of. Yeah, no, I still think it's uh, telling that that you participated that way. Um, yeah, and uh, my my note before was a little frivolous, but there's. Uh, you know, you have a little bit of Freddie in in your <clears throat> in your physical appearance, which is you know just a an interesting aside. Uh, hey, so well, he he me in so many ways. And again, if if you see me in concert, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. When you see me in concert, I I, I take so much of what Freddie left behind in terms of how to entertain how to entertain an audience. You can it's easier to entertain an audience at a club because. You basically can see the, the last row of people at a club. When you're doing a, an arena or a stadium, the, your your vision basically starts getting blurred after about 35, 40 rows back. You cannot leave those people out of the show. You can't leave the people in the nosebleeds out, the, the ones on the side of, of the very top of the arena. You cannot leave them out of the show and just yeah. perform into the people that you can actually see. And that's something Freddie taught me very early on is how to connect with the, every last person from the furthest seat to the one that's in front. In fact, the worst seat when you're watching me perform is actually the first two rows because I probably don't look down at you at all. I'm making sure that everybody else in, in where I'm playing is, is covered because uh, you're, you're already getting the best view, the best visual, and you can see everybody else doing what they're doing up close. So I'm gonna make sure that everybody else that can't really see you so well or that I can't see at all, that they're gonna be part of it. Yeah, it's, cl it's clear to me, um, having seen you as many times as I have, that uh, it's important to you to uh, it, not just deliver vocally, but sort of um, present the material in a way that's exciting and to create that audience connection. Like not, not all vocalists do that. I'm not even suggesting that, or that they must in order to, to be a success. But it's clear to me that that's a, that's, um, a, char a quality of you, you as a performer that's important to you because it comes, it comes out. I, I, we kind of talked about it a little bit with, with TSO, and I know, and I totally get the guardrails you're talking about. You know what you're doing there, but the, um, the places where your personality is is consonant with what you're trying to do it shines better for that. Um, and I yeah. guess I, I did see Sons of Apollo here in Seattle. I think you guys played the Showbox. Um, right. Yeah. Same same deal. You do you, you know? And and by the way, in the in the filmed one we talked about, um, it's same thing. Uh, and you, you know, it was fun to see you go out in the crowd, like, you know, and, and, and I know it was fun and, and you were trying not to trip, but it's, that's just another part of the, the um, you see the same sort of audience um, familiarity that you build uh, throughout the rest of the set. 
Um, yeah. So fo- folks who haven't seen Jeff perform, um, one, go see them when they come through town. Hopefully they're, it's going to happen this holiday. Right, well, right. By the, on the touring, um, did I see that you guys published dates for Sons of Apollo early next year? All we have at the moment are four shows in South America, and we're praying. This is the fourth time they've been rebooked, and we're praying that they go through this time. Um, one of the uh, hot spots we were worried about is Brazil, but now their vaccine rollouts are they're pushing, they're they're moving very quickly now. So we're hoping um, again whether the vaccine is the the end all be all that gets us all back working or not. That's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the fact that we actually just get to do it. Yeah. So I'm hoping that they go through because in January we're supposed to go do that, and at the moment we don't have anything else booked for the year because as everybody else is trying to uh, make up for lost time. A lot of things I'm even seeing now that they tried to book for this year are now starting to get pulled and they're, they're just going to start canceling and postponing everything until 2022. Mike Portnoy himself alone has a lot of stuff to make up for much less Sons of Apollo. So there's a, there's a lot of makeup stuff going on and everybody's going to try to accommodate, you know, where what's first in line, so to speak. But at the moment, uh, Sons of Apollo only has four dates booked for January and I'm I'm filling as much as I can with all the other things that I have going on in my life. Yeah. Well, we'll watch for the, the duets record and then um, the, the forthcoming solo record that you're going to be crunching in between your other dates. Yeah. Um, the, the last question. Well, this I, is, go ahead. Go ahead. This is the new solo record is, it truly is. Uh, it's very important to me because this is, it's going to be marking my two decades with frontiers. It's, yeah. it's, it's 20 years with a single label, something I've never had before. It's a 20-year relationship with these guys and this company it, who are more like family to me that uh, I, I have to represent the chances and the love that they've given me to, for me to be able to do what I do on their label. And so that album has to be that important for it to represent exactly what I've been doing with them for 20 years now. So uh, you said, I think I heard you say the music for that's done. You've just got to write the vocals. And, and right. And, this, and I think some of the music still being kind of uh, some of the like, bells and whistles are being done to them now. So I don't quite have them yet. And as well, they don't want to bombard me. Alessandro, who I did my last album, Wide Awake in My Dreamland with, he doesn't want to bombard me with 11 songs. Okay, now go. So he sends me like two at a time because he realizes I'm crazed right now, packing and moving and everything. So just this morning, I was trying to carve one out so I could see if I could sing it before I have to go start moving some boxes. So, such a rock and roll lifestyle. Sing, <laughs> ah, and then get in the car and drop off of some boxes of dishes to the new house. Yeah, that's, I actually love that. It makes you <laughs> very, very human. Um, <laughs> uh, dude, you've been uh, so gracious with your time. I, I appreciate you um, spending some time with me. I, my last question for you is, and this is kind of a hard one because you're so busy and we've heard so much that you do. Um, is there something, though, that uh, time permitting, and this may be later in your life, that you've always wanted to do? Could be a- another style of music. It could be a- another creative pursuit like painting, or maybe it's completely not creative. It's something that is a mountain you want to climb, but it's got to wait till you can get to it. At the moment, I can't really foresee anything that I haven't done yet. I can't really think of anything. I don't really have any bucket lists or wish lists anymore. I've I've gotten to meet everybody that I feel is important in my life. And I've gotten even validation from a lot of those people. I've got to record with a lot of them. I've got to recreate with them. And it's funny because I used to have 
a flurry of answers that I would actually change the, uh, the, the, the members of when people would say, if you could put the living or dead, if you could put together the perfect band that you'd like to record and do something with, what would it be? And I, through the different years, I've come up with different names and they've changed and shifted based on where I was at in my life. <clears throat> and now I only answer that question with, yes, if I could dream of my dream band, if I could pull all these members together to make an album with, it would be Mike Portnoy, Billy Sheehan, Bumblefoot, and Derek Sherinian. Yeah, there you go. Enough said. Yeah, enough said. That's a, that's a, well, and we'll all look forward to you guys getting on the road and, and more albums. Uh, I know that that particular project for all you guys is really meaningful. It's not a side thing. Yeah. It's an, it's an important right. staple in your career. Um, yeah. All right, man. Well, look, I'm going to play the outro. If you'll stick on for one second so I can say a personal goodbye, we'll leave you to your boxes. <laughs> all right, Peter. All right. Take care, man. Thanks for your time, brother.